The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to jamieappsmedia.com. This week, I'm joined by a teacher and travel blogger who lists his favourite movie as Fight Club and favourite TV show as Survivor. Welcome back to the show, buddy, formerly the big show, McClelland. Uh, thanks for having me back. How's, how's things been treating you? Uh, it's pretty much the same as last time almost. We've uh, rearranged every single room in the house now. Uh, I've been digging deep through all streaming shows and I now have a putting green in my living room. So probably pretty similar to everybody else. The boredom has definitely kicked in then? Oh, so much. Like you you realise just how small a two-bedroom apartment is when it's the only place you can really be is here or exercise. So I've been trying to play a lot of golf and trying to get out where I can. Um, but, yeah, it's just trying to make the best of the little apartment, the little space we have. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. I've had a couple of little outings to get groceries and dog food and things like that, and they're kind of the only things I'm doing, really. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully things are supposed to start changing this week. Yeah, well, they, they said Friday they're meant to start lifting the restrictions, which will be nice. Yeah. I just get really nervous that they're like, they've done all this work so far, and then we get to the point where we flatten the curve and we, go, we take our foot off the brake and just go for it, and it all comes back in another spike. So hopefully they manage it right. I'm just going to do what we're told. So what have you been watching in the meantime? Um, I have been going through a bit more Netflix, a bit more Amazon Prime, and then I watched uh, Bad Boys for Life, which I think you did as well. But yeah, I did um, Unorthodox, which is a new uh, limited series on Netflix. Um, that was actually really, really good. I We watched that because um, Anne, my fiance, listens to a podcast called The Shameless Podcast. Um, I haven't really listened to it or anything, but she is yeah absolutely addicted to that podcast. Um, and they recommended it. So, yeah, really, really good. It's a, um, one of the limited series on Netflix. So it's four episodes yep. of 52 minutes. Um, but, yeah, super, super interesting. It's, it's based off of um, the book and story of a lady named uh, Deborah Feldman. Um, and it's her story of escaping the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community um, that was in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Yeah, I've, I've had it on my list for a little while. I just haven't got around to watching it. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, really different. Like it was, it's, it was good for a kind of like a few reasons. Like it was really, it was eye opening at first. Like I, the traditions and sort of the intensity of this sort of a community and the things that they do and the things they expect. But then it's also in a place and time where you wouldn't expect it. Like it's it's just smack bang in the middle of New York City and it's like set in the present day. I mean, I think her story would have been maybe sort of five, ten years ago, but, I mean, it's still very current for just how traditional and just how, I guess, ultra-Orthodox the community is. Like, they use um, they use Yiddish as their first language. Even though they're living in New York, they use yeah, Yiddish. So the whole uh, show is shot and subtitled from this Jewish-Yiddish language, which is, was quite cool. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and it was it was kind of about her story growing up in that and the expectations of her, and it's quite a, a culture where they kind of have the limited education for, for girls and women and they're kind of expected to be 
almost sort of just uh, just mothers really and just have as many babies as they can and, and that wasn't for her. So it was her story of escaping that and uh, how she got out and she had her mother in Berlin and she got to there and, yeah, I, I don't want to give too much away, but, yeah, really, really cool story. It was quite... Um, it seemed like it was really truthful and accurate. They have a making of documentary afterwards and they said they actually had one of the actors was also their Yiddish consultant. So they didn't try and just beat down the Jewish community, which I really kind of respected. There was really like nice, beautiful sort of wedding ceremonies and they showed really strong family connections and it wasn't just about tearing them apart, but it also really showed you kind of the dark side of, of why she would want to get out and and what they would do to try and keep her there and tell her she wouldn't survive out in the real world outside of their community. But, yeah, really, really cool, really inspiring, really exciting, and, yeah, really, really got into it. So hopefully there was only, there was only four episodes, but hopefully they make a season two. They definitely left it open for a season two. Oh, okay. So it's a nice quick watch. It's not – you're not investing a crazy amount of time. Yeah, it's, it was well, four fifty. It's almost sort of like four mini movies. So we kind of split it across four nights. But it's something we're looking forward to every night to watching. But it's 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 a show that has a lot of ups and downs in it. You think you're really really happy, and then you're really worried. And but that's I think a lot of the best sorts of stories do that, and they take you on that roller coaster. And yeah, they it's not named directly after her. the main character. Um, her name's Esty, and. You follow her, and yeah, it just takes you on that real roller coaster. So it's not always light and happy, but it has really happy moments, and yeah, really cool. I think even um, if the making of in itself was it was really interesting because the uh, the sort of the villain on the show, whose name is uh, Moisha, who's kind of sent out to to get her and bring her back to the community. Uh, the actor himself actually lived that story. They said that they cast him after they found out that he actually grew up in one of those communities and moved to Germany and had lived the exact same story from a male perspective that uh, Deborah, the author of the book, and Esty, the main character, had actually lived. Yeah, I really like when they do those making-ofs. It gives that a little bit more depth to the story. Yeah, and, and especially in a situation like this where there's not many just straight Yiddish, Jewish movies out there. I mean, you can do a making-of I don't know, like Jumanji or whatever, and it's kind of always the same thing, like The Rock flexing and Kevin Hart being funny, but this is actually it gives you a lot more insight into something different. Especially when it's on a community that you don't have a lot of familiarity with. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it even touches on a lot of the stuff that, I mean, yeah, like I don't have a very big familiarity with the Jewish community, but it touches on things that you think that they would, they would be um, dealing with, like the trauma of the Holocaust and things like that, so... Yeah, it gives you a really interesting insight into yeah their community and the the uh, dealing with the hard side of it as well. All right, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, really good. On the total flip side, I watched Bad Boys for Life this weekend. You checked that one out too? Yeah, I did. What did you think? Don't expect anything more than Bad Boys. <laughs> oh my god! It's, like <laughs> it's so much just a carbon copy of the previous two yeah except now we're grandpas and we're pretending we can still do it all i don't know like i'm not a huge fan of action movies and this really didn't help that at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't do anything sort of mind-blowing or groundbreaking yeah it just felt like they were really kind of going for all the the action movie cliches and just trying to get sort of extra explosions and car chases and stuff to fit in wherever they could just to try and make it super exciting. Like, I like Will Smith, um, but this one definitely wasn't one of his best ones. It's it's like it's mind, mindless TV. You can sit there and just enjoy 
watching explosions and helicopters and stuff, but yeah, you're not going to get a big, great storyline out of it. Yeah, that was that was my takeaway as well. Being the, the third instalment of the series, 17 years later, it was very much just a, let's bring these guys back, have a fun, funny, action-filled weekend chill-out movie. Yeah, I mean, I, the, there's one scene that really stood out to me as a, kind of the turning point where I was like, oh, come on, you're just kidding me now. I don't know if you remember it, but there was a part where they were kind of in in the back of a van in a standoff and then all these guys turn up on, on motorbikes with crazy cool helmets and everyone's got like Uzis and submachine guns. You think, whoa, that's cool. And then it's like they look outside and there's a getaway bike with a sidecar with blue neons under it and you're like, whoa, that's cool. And then they get to the sidecar and for some unbeknown reason, some dude's just left his like aggressive as pit bull in the car in the sidecar and you're like okay now we're, we're kind of pushing it and they go in the chase yep. and you think okay now we're in a car chase but then the bad guys can apparently only shoot their submachine guns when they do wheelies on their motorbikes <laughs> and then you think okay how are they going to get out of this the handgun isn't enough and he pulls a minigun all of a sudden out of the sidecar just built into this sidecar how did you not notice that when you got in where are all the bullets like <laughs> anyway they keep yeah, going how is he not just sitting in a pile of hot Bullet shots. Oh, exactly. And they keep going and you think, okay, minigun in the sidecar, that's where it's got to end. And you think they blow a few things up and they get to a bridge and all of a sudden a helicopter pops out from behind a truck. And you're like, okay, well, now there's a helicopter and the helicopter turns sideways and there's a man with a bazooka inside the helicopter. It's just like, I just couldn't believe some of the action journey. It felt like they sat there and it was almost like what I would have thought like in year seven if I sat there and went, oh, how can I make this more exciting? How can I make this more exciting? That's what the writers just kind of went for. Yeah, they just went, what's, what's ridiculous here? What's, what's happened in like Fast and the Furious movies over the last yeah. couple of years? And it's just they just went for it. It was like, how can we just add something extra? And they just, just got the green light to add whatever they felt like by the look of it. Yeah, there was absolutely no like grounding in reality it was purely just like let's make a crazy over-the-top action movie with funny one-liners here and there yeah and even the one-liners got to be a bit old do you find like it was I think I, I finished the movie and didn't watch it with me but obviously like I said two-bedroom apartment she could kind of hear everything that was going on and I went back into the bedroom and she was like how many times did they try and fit that bad boy's song into that movie it must have been like 16 17 odd times <laughs> They did that in all the previous Bad Boys as well. Like, every time they could, it was like, let's drop the song. Yeah, but then, I mean, he, he tried to do... Will Smith had a... His character had a part in there where he, he did the line, like, Bad Boys for Life as a wedding toast. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really fit. No, and, and everyone knew the line and went for it. I, that was my wedding's coming up. If someone does that, I'll, I won't be quoting it with them. I'll just be looking at him like, give me the microphone. Oh, come on. You don't want me to say that? I'll give you free. If you want to stand up and do that, that's up to you. But you face the wrath of my family at your own peril. <laughs> it's not not so much your family I'd be worried about. It would be Anne would scare me a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> just just the look I can imagine she would give <laughs> Mate, just from the table. Yeah, you, you'd probably die without being touched. But look, I'm all for you to do it. If you, you want to get up there and you do want to do that, you go for it, my friend. What did you think of the introductions of Vanessa Hudgens? in the ammo team to try and possibly build for the future. Yeah, not a fan. Like, I think they're just trying to flog a dead horse. Like, just go for something new. Yeah, it definitely felt forced as a way of, okay, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are getting a bit old now, but if we bring in these young people, we might be able to keep 
keep the series floating for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, there were some pretty, like, some of the martial arts scenes and stuff in there were, were pretty cool. It was pretty well choreographed. But, yeah, it was just more the storyline kind of left me hanging. Yeah. Uh, out of five, what would you give it? Well, I'd give it a generous two and a half. Yeah, I think that's where I f- f- uh, fell as well, pretty much right in the middle there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, Bad Boys movie. You know what you're getting into, so... I think that's why you've got to push it up a bit. Like you, You're not going to go in there expecting a lot. And if you want explosions and you want helicopters with bazookas and pit bulls and sidecars, then, yeah, this is a movie for you. Yeah, 100%. Don't go in expecting groundbreaking cinema there. No. <laughs> uh, and so this week we had a giveaway to, for the DVD of Bad Boys for Life. Uh, Luke Fennick has won that one. Just shoot us a message over on our social medias and we'll organise that to get out to you, Luke. What else did you check out, buddy? Again, Amazon Prime. I've been kind of scrolling through it and trying to use um, sports documentaries to, to scratch the itch that Russian ping pong won't fill. And, I mean, like, <laughs> there's been a few other things out there to try and fill the, before I get on to the show. Did you see the the virtual V8 supercars that they're trying to use to fill the gap for sport at the moment? Yeah, they've been doing it with the, the F1 as well. And I think there's been, like, basketball and Premier League ones as well. They're yeah. just like playing FIFA or... Darts from home, was that one? Yeah, darts from home. That's been an interesting one. The quality isn't the best, but it's working. Yeah, so it's, it's all better than nothing, but not the same. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so same same kind of approach, I guess, that I went for sports documentaries. Um, and this is one that I would have watched ages and ages ago. is um, Momentum Generation. It actually came out in... I think it was released in 2018. And it's a, a documentary based around surfing and um, the generation that kind of took surfing from stoner back in the day where everyone remembers kind of yeah, stone guys going around in combis and that kind of an image into the really hardcore professional athlete that it is now. But yeah, like I said, the Amazon Prime, I don't know, their menu system, it seems to be, or their promotion of the shows that they have seems to be always the same. And it's kind of worked now that we're in isolation. You've got time to dig through the menus. You can kind of find things that you didn't realise were there. I mean, I just randomly I dug so deep that I ended up watching the, the 1990 version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one night, which I absolutely love and would have watched heaps of times, but I didn't even know it was on there. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this one so it follows the generation that took that, that surfing big step into to being an athlete, and that was like um, Kelly Slater is one of them, Rob Machado, Shane Dorian, Taylor Knox, Taylor Steele, Kalani Rob. so all these people that um, if you grew up kind of surfing, you would obviously people know the name Kelly Slater, but and a lot of other people that were his really close friends that took that step into making surfing what it is today. Um, Definitely something down your alley then. Huge, huge, yeah, but I mean... It was more than that, which is what surprised me with it. Like, I was going to like it, no matter what, just watching a a surf movie from home that has all those guys in it. Um, And the surfing in it was phenomenal. But it really explained their friendship and what that did for them as individuals and what that did for them in terms of their sporting careers and mental health and how choices of their friends impacted their mental health and their families, and it was just went so much deeper than a surf movie, which is what I really, really respected about it. And when I kind of went on to look and see what other people thought of it, I wasn't really surprised. It got a 8.2 on IMDb and 100% on Rotten Tomato. Oh, so, wow. I mean, I, I don't think it's just me that sees more than just a surf movie. So, yeah, really interesting to see how they, they grew up and sort of the things that pushed them in 
different directions and how that impacted surfing as a sport and yeah it really gave me a deeper understanding like Kelly Slater I think he's got 11 world titles now since the 1990s whatever when he started but it gives you a really in-depth look at him as a competitor and this man is just the most calculated and competitive person on the planet like it's just he's ruthless you don't win 11 world titles I guess for doing nothing yeah, you're not going to win it just on skill. You have to have that drive. Yeah, that real competitive edge. And some of these guys on there, like the Rob Machados of the world, don't have that sort of a ruthlessness to them, or they didn't. And yeah, watching Kelly, apparently he used to like steal people's boards. And um, there was even a stage where one of his best mates, Rob Machado, they were surfing together in a, a heat at Pipeline. And whoever won the heat was going to win the world title. And Rob Machado gets spat out of this awesome, massive pipeline barrel, hands up, claims it, and Kelly's kind of sitting in front of him. And he puts out a hand to high-five him, but you think that's a weird hand for him to put out there? Anyway, Rob Machado surfs off the wave, high-fives him, but then what that caused was him being behind in what's called priority. So that meant that Kelly could then paddle out the back, get the next wave, and basically steal the world title from underneath the nose of his one of his best mates by tricking him into a high-five. Ouch. Yeah, and they still to the day don't know. They interview the guys and they still don't know whether he calculated or not, but Kelly being Kelly, they don't think that he does anything in his entire life without calculating how it's going to impact the future. It's weird that it's not being promoted more because it sounds really good. Like it feels like Amazon should be pushing that a bit more. Yeah, uh, you would think so. And that's what I'm saying about the sort of the Amazon menus and things. Like it still seems to have the same shows and like, I swear it's still got the ad for like the um, Top Gear spin-off, the Grand Tour sitting at the top of it and stuff. Since That's been there for as long as I've had a subscription to it. So, yeah, definitely worth a watch for Momentum Generation. If you're a surfer or enjoy surfing or whatever particularly, that'd be really good. But, I mean, it's it's more than just a surfing documentary. It's, it's really interesting to see how uh, the friendships impacted their lives and sport impacted that. And, yeah, definitely worth a dig around on Amazon Prime and, and definitely worth a watch. I imagine it's probably just a case of Amazon are really only trying to push their stuff. They don't want to promote films and stuff that have been produced by other companies. Yeah. I, I mean, I did see a lot of stuff when this came out. Um, but then again, I, I follow a lot of those people on sort of social media. So I would have seen a lot of that. And I definitely wanted to watch it. But, yeah, they didn't promote much of it uh, themselves. And they do have a lot of shows now that they're trying to – I guess they're trying to do the same as Netflix and have their own Amazon originals just as much as the Netflix originals. But yeah, definitely I would say for the time being, dig around and everyone's probably got a little bit of extra time now to go for a, a better look through the, the menus, so make the most of it. How much did watching the movie make you desperately want to go for a surf again? Yeah, fair bit. <laughs> you forget that these guys grew up at Pipeline and they had a guy's house that they lived at at Pipeline on the, on the north shore of Hawaii and I'm sitting here now looking at a grey cloudy sky and onshore wind and one foot slop so it kind of takes it out of you takes the wind out of your sails pretty quick when you remember that you're not kelly slater and you don't live at pipeline based on your recommendations last time i checked out the test yeah what do you think yeah, very very good <laughs> i knew you'd love i told you if it could make me like test match cricket i told you it had to be good there are some weird blokes in that aussie cricket team but yeah real weird <laughs> like adam zamper and minus labuschagne yeah, was he the guy with the coffee? Yeah, <laughs> they are the weirdest dudes. He takes his little coffee pot with him everywhere he goes around the world and has to have his special coffee before he can play. Yeah, and then if he can fit clothes, he fits clothes. <laughs> hey, whatever works for him, man. I mean, they're playing test match cricket for Australia, so, yeah, don't question it. Uh, and then I also checked out um, 
on Disney Plus, I watched Onward, the new Pixar movie. So it stars Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and it's about two elf teenagers who they go on a quest to try and resurrect their deceased father, but they can only have him back for 24 hours. When they do the spell to bring him back, it doesn't work fully, so they only have the bottom half of him. (laughs) And then they have that 24 hours to go and get this gem to complete the spell and get the second half, and it just follows on like their journey to go through all of these challenges to get to the, the gem to complete the spell. Really, I love the way that Disney movies and Pixar movies always take on these really hard ideas and somehow make them manageable for kids and even us now. Like most of the adults I know watch Pixar movies, but like that's a really hard topic, a sad topic to like try and bring your dad back, but then making it just half of dad just makes it so much more manageable straight away. It was very like heart wrenching. Yeah, and it made Caitlin cry a lot. <laughs> But it was also really like formulaic, so it was you could sort of see what was coming. They really highlighted things way before, and then just left them, and then they came back to it. So it was that sort of ruined it a little bit for me, just because of how obvious some of the the next plot points were going to be. Yeah, but still, definitely worth checking out on Disney Plus. It's probably one of the the better offerings on there at the moment. There's not my, like, I just kind of at this stage in my life after growing up with, like, you'd be the same as me. You watch Toy Story for the first time back when you were just, yeah, little. And now Pixar kind of, I kind of trust them so much. They can't really do much wrong in my eyes, Pixar. Yeah, 100%. Like, you know, it's going to be a quality story no matter what. Um, yeah, they always have those little inside jokes. I think up will be hard for them to top, though. Yeah. No, that's always a good one. But they, they always have that heart-wrenching moment. Now that I'm thinking about all those different types of movies, and Caitlin's not alone, I think uh, Anne and I watched The Good Dinosaur just randomly because we were running out of things to watch. Oh, would have been a good couple of weeks ago. I think she cried four times in The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, it's ridiculous how they just manage to... the kids' movies, but they still have these really heartfelt stories that make people get really emotional. Yeah. I guess as you get a bit older, you kind of realise how those themes and those things are really close to people's lives and, like, you can kind of identify more with the, the theme of the story and not just how cute the characters are. Yeah, that's that's probably their big part. They're not, they're not shallow movies. They're really deep, so you can watch them over again and get different parts from the story. Yeah. But they do it in a way where there's only what, half of Dad, just Dad's pants walking around, was it? Yeah, it was just, just his legs <laughs> and he couldn't talk, but he could, like, tap on the ground and then... They had like a little like Morse code <laughs> way of talking to each other. Oh, cool. I'll have to watch and, it. Yeah. And then speaking of really well-written content, I finished the fifth season of Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad prequel series. That has to be one of the most well-written TV shows currently going. Yeah. It's slow and methodical, but in a really believable way, builds the characters into who they become in Breaking Bad. Yeah, I mean, I loved Breaking Bad. Like, I was one of those people that walked around and told everybody else that you had to watch it. And that was, I think that was the way they got that that show. It was so deep and slow-moving, but it's what made it better. But I think I kind of undersold Better Call Saul to myself. Like, I, I watched a bit of it straight after Breaking Bad had finished and it had come out. Um, 
And I, yeah, I think I kind of let it go too early. I didn't give it the kind of the time it deserved. Yeah, I had a similar feeling with the first maybe two, two and a half seasons because it was so far back. It was hard to sort of see how he became who he is in Breaking Bad. But with the, the sort of fourth and fifth season, as it's getting closer to that time period, it's becoming much more enjoyable because you're seeing how he becomes Saul. Yeah. I guess it really limits them doing a prequel like that. Like you're always going to have a a set amount of time where you have to kind of turn him into what he is on the next show. Yeah, and everybody sort of knows where it's going to, so it's hard yeah. to surprise people. Yeah, I might have to go back and, and watch it again and try and get more into it. I think I tried to go through like the first season and it's the same thing where it was just really slow moving. So, yeah, five seasons is really good though. Yeah, and I think they have one more coming up so then then that'll be the complete Saul story and who knows where they go from there whether they go do other side characters yeah big pressure on them well, big pressure on them for being the the breaking bad story that they've got to try and produce another really great ending yeah especially when everyone knows what comes afterwards like how do you climax better call Saul to so that it doesn't ruin the beginning of breaking bad yeah Okay, so before we give our top picks for the week, we'll hear a word from our sponsors. Rated in the top 15 of the short story podcasts for 2020, After Dinner Conversation is a growing series of short stories and audio and video discussions across genres to draw out deeper discussions with friends and family. Each story is an accessible example of an abstract ethical or philosophical idea and is accompanied by suggested discussion questions. Find it by searching After Dinner Conversations in your preferred podcast app. What is your top pick for the week, buddy? Uh, my top pick for the week has to be Unorthodox. Like, it's just so different. It's so kind of raw and truthful and, yeah, really, really cool to be able to see uh, inside sort of like a, a ultra-Orthodox Jewish community and follow the story of Esty and knowing that it was a, a true story for not only the the author of the book that it came from, but also one of the actors in it. I think, yeah, really, really good. Definitely recommend Unorthodox on Netflix. Awesome. And then, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Better Call Saul, especially the fifth season. Just so well written, so well performed by the actors as well, and just an intense series the whole time. It's like, how's Saul going to get out of this one? He's in a lot of trouble. And Stan is where I checked that one out, so that one's worth grabbing a subscription there if you don't already. Thank you for listening to The Commentary Booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes because that's really helping us grow. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Media, and you can follow Buddy over on Instagram at a.b underscore s-e-e. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Jamzine, over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jamieappsmedia. The following people supported at the Jam publisher level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are of their support. Brian and June Hart, Caitlin Fitzgerald, Courtney Paulson, Tracy Apps.